Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 279 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm talking with Laura Briggs about how to start building a strategic marketing plan. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ruby, Back Office Betty's, LawPay, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do the show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So today's intro is super weird that we have <laughs> it is. three. <laughs> people talking we've never done this the three-way intro before Mm -hmm. and it's because we have a fun exciting announcement which is that sam is in the process of transitioning his role a little bit at lawyerist and has a new chapter in his career but it also means we're making some changes to the podcast yeah i I, I don't know how to make an announcement like this but uh i've been doing lawyers for 13 years and starting july 1 it won't be my day job anymore i won't be a lawyerist employee I'm not disappearing. I'll still come back to do guest hosting duties on the podcast now and then. Members of Lab will still see me at LabCon, I imagine, for quite some time, and maybe even as a coach, a guest coach in Lab. But yeah, this won't be my day job, and it means for the podcast, we're giving you a taste today of what that means, I guess, where Stephanie and Laura are going to be taking over the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big momentous thing. Sam and I have been doing Lawyerist together for over 11 years now, and he was doing it before me for a couple of years before that. And it's a big change for the business and our relationship. We're trying to minimize the amount of change for (laughs) the lawyerist community and podcast listeners. But it definitely means for the podcast that, um, as you've been hearing over the last few episodes anyway, that Stephanie and Laura are stepping up to take over a bigger role in hosting the show. Stephanie, what are you thinking about this, about taking over the podcast? I'm obviously very excited for Sam as you start a new journey and excited for us and excited for what the podcast looks like next. And Laura and I will do our best. And obviously Aaron's not going anywhere either. So we'll keep him around for some intro work. Yeah. For anyone who is wondering what this means for the future of Lawyerist, I actually think the answer is not a whole lot. You know, Aaron and I have been doing this together from the beginning. When you took over Aaron as CEO, how long ago was that? Four years. Four years ago, yeah. You also took over the vision and direction of the company. And in the beginning, you know, that was mostly about, you know, figuring out the continuation of what I had started. But it has really shaped the direction lawyers has taken. And then when we brought Stephanie on, is it two years ago? Yeah, two and a half. A little over, yeah. yep. We knew Stephanie was going to be a great addition to the team, but I don't think we quite realized what a force of nature she would be. And very quickly just decided to put her in charge of a lot of things. (laughs) But she started out and came in and really um, made the community what it is, the lab and the insider communities in particular. And, uh, you know, I think most of the current shape of Lawyerist is due to their work, not mine. I have been hosting the podcast, but I haven't been shaping the direction of the company. I haven't been shaping the direction of the community. That's all been them. And so I think most of what people interact with Lawyerist as today, apart from the podcast, 
is going to just continue to prosper and grow and be amazing because it's been their work that's made it that so far anyway. So. Oh, shucks. I don't know. If I, if I keep going, I'm going to get a little choked up. But. Oh, boy. Well, thankfully, you are not going anywhere yet. We still have a few yeah. weeks of Sam, but we wanted to make sure we acknowledged it with some lead time. No, I know, but it does feel like I'm letting go of my baby. Yep. <laughs> so the next few episodes, uh, I'll still be in and out because we've recorded ahead a few episodes. This episode is a taste of what it will be like to have Stephanie and Laura on as the hosts. And I'm excited because I think Stephanie's already been doing a great job on the podcast she's brought in and as a guest. And so it'll be nice to see her in sort of in my chair, although it will be her own chair. So, yeah, I I guess that's all I got to say about it right now. Yeah. Well, we'll keep talking to you. So I guess (laughs) let's give everyone a taste. What does this look like? So now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Tim Bedford from Ruby and then my conversation with Laura. Hi, my name is Tim Bedford, and I am the partner manager here at Ruby. And Ruby uh, is offering live virtual receptionists and online chat specialists to tons of small businesses, specifically the small law firms around the country. Welcome back, Tim. Uh, Ruby is obviously kind of on the front lines of this. I know you you recently shifted your entire workforce remote, um, although that had been in the works for a while. And um, working with remote assistants like um, Ruby Receptionist is a pretty key service for a lot of the firms that are trying to figure out how to function right now or who have been for years. So what kinds of shifts and trends are you noticing from all of the legal customers that you have over the last few weeks um, in the pandemic? Yeah, so Ruby currently has 10,000 plus customers. That's a pretty good cross-section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So we, we're, we've got our you know eyes to the ground, and, and we're seeing tons of different industries react in different ways. But regards to attorney-specific, those who have seen a decrease in certain types of cases are actually moving their firms to different practices of law. So just last week, we actually teamed up with the likes of Fast Case and Clio to sponsor Bankruptcy Week. So... Uh, we're actually seeing attorneys shift their practices to not only bankruptcy, but also estate planning as well, since you know those needs are sadly yeah. increasing. As I mentioned, you have taken your entire workforce remote, um, which is kind of amazing given the size of it. But you've been helping people work remotely for years. And so I'm curious, what could we learn from you about setting up successful virtual offices and, and doing that well? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, many of us have learned that taking a business fully remote involves more than just having an internet connection. And Mm -hmm. that's even tougher when you're competing with kids at home, participating in online school and binge streaming, fighting for that Netflix account. So the primary struggle that we're actually seeing, particularly with attorneys, is recreating a business's communication infrastructure. Now, most offices rely on a physical phone system with the ability to, you know, transfer or to direct lines or extensions, as well as, you know, face-to-face communication to maintain that privacy. So if you're truly moving virtual, you should really look at options that allow you to move your communication hub to the cloud. So with Ruby, you can actually port your existing number to us, essentially getting rid of your phone bill altogether. Or we can provide you with a new one. So setting up customized call handling based on your needs, as well as transfer calls to you and your employees' mobile phones. So your callers will essentially get the same exact experience of a professional voice answering phone without the need of a bulky in-house system. Gotcha. And I suppose that replaces like the robotic phone trees as well if people are using those. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So finally, what can attorneys do to deliver a great customer experience right now in working with Ruby or just themselves? 
Yeah, right now is definitely the key phrase there. So the inability to really meet face-to-face coupled with, uh, and I hate to use this phrase, but uncertain climate that's, <laughs> yes, it uh, is. <laughs> is, is really making already anxious clients more stressed. So meaning there's an increased burden to kind of go above and beyond. So active listening and, and speaking with empathy are really the two biggest factors that will reduce a client's anxiety. You know, with working with a lot of lawyers, we understand that folks typically don't call them in the best mm-hmm. of moods. They've <laughs> either been injured, being sued, getting a divorce. So that's where leading with empathy and matching that tone really shines. And, and we coach our, our receptionists to do so. So of course, outsourcing your first touch points can really help also relieve some of that emotional and mental health as well. So that gives you more time to be prepared to deal with the clients themselves. So a virtual receptionist can essentially calm clients and give you more time back in the day to find a quiet place so that you can focus on what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And that's practice law. I've got a minute here to just interject to something of my own experience. And I hope that's all right with you. But yeah, absolutely. I started working with a virtual receptionist and it was Ruby many years ago in my own practice because I found that answering the phone made me annoyed. And my experience over the last few weeks is that that is even more profound. Like I've got two kids who are, and we're trying to juggle school. My wife has a new job that's very demanding and I don't know how I would manage answering my own phone right now. And that thing that you just said about outsourcing your first touch points so that you can take care of your own self, but also so that your callers get cared for in the way that they need when they call, um, that one really resonates with me. So Yeah, that's a great point. And on top of that, you know, the whole nine to five workday is really disappearing. So we've recently took Ruby's receptionist service to match that of our chat. So now we're available 24 seven to help support those attorneys who really can't find the time. Right. Very cool. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Ruby, you can visit ruby.com slash lawyers for more info. And you can click over the show notes where you'll find that link. Tim, thanks so much. Thank you, Sam. everyone. It's Laura and Stephanie. And today we're going to be chatting about why you need to ask the right questions when figuring out how to set up your strategic marketing plan or the next step in your business. And welcome, Stephanie. This is totally different from how we normally do things. There's no Sam. Yeah, we were just, in fact, Sam was just on with us to make sure we were good to go on our recording. And it felt like the dad walking the kids into the first day of kindergarten. He was like, bye, guys. You're going to be great. I wanted to be like, (laughs) bye, dad. Thank you. Yeah. I hope we'll be all right. (laughs) We have your baby. You just gave it to us. And I hope we do okay with it. Yes. I mean, we're definitely excited to chat about this, but it's such a transition period with everything around the podcast. And so this is something you'll be hearing more of in the future. We've been already testing some ideas with some of the coaching calls with Stephanie talking to lawyerist lab members, and we've gotten really good feedback on those. So you'll be hearing kind of a mix of different things in the podcast coming up, conversations between the two of us. Stephanie's still going to be doing coaching calls, and I will be doing a lot of the interviews with authors and the thought leaders. So that's kind of what you can expect going forward. But this is definitely the first one. So we're excited to be chatting about this. And I feel like we got inspired for this particular topic because right now in the midst of the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of lawyers that are thinking about 
okay, I, I know I have to pivot. And so maybe that means that I just take on bankruptcy as a practice area. And that's where I need to go because that's potentially where the business is and where the, the shift is going to come in the months and years following the end of this pandemic. And we kind of want to chat about why that might not be the right way to go about making a decision like that. Yeah. And what I loved about this topic is the questions we're going to present apply to everyone, right? So even if you're sitting here thinking, well, my business is fine and I have no plans of pivoting to bankruptcy, you still need to be asking yourself these setup questions because it's so important and it impacts your entire marketing strategy going forward. So just a little bit of a a programming note that this really applies to everyone and it's something that we end up taking almost every lawyer that we work with through this analysis. Right. Because when you're figuring out any aspect of something in your practice, whether you're just starting out with your own firm or you're trying to make some type of a pivot, there's the offerings, there's the practice area, there's your marketing plan. There's so many different directions that you can go. And I feel like lawyers are often told this is the way that you have to do things or this is the new and shiny thing. And so maybe you should try it. What would you say are those first kind of key steps to determining your offerings, and your practice area, which of course will inform that marketing strategy. Yeah. So the first place we always like to start, it sounds so basic, but it really is, what are your personal goals? You know, what are you trying to build for your practice, for your business, for yourself? Because that often impacts so many things. And we let our business sort of take us in directions sometimes that we weren't even expecting. So we kind of have to back up and and reset the framework and say, what is it that we're trying to do with our life so that we can make sure we build a business that allows those goals to happen? Now, do you think that's something that you come out of law school being prepared to do? Or is, I mean, is that like an intuitive thing that a small firm owner is thinking about from day one? Or do you find that a lot of lawyers are jumping into their practice with that maybe somewhere in the back of their mind, but not really in the form of a strategic approach to it. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like I can only speak from my experience 20 years ago when I was in law school, (laughs) this was not on my mind at all, which is interesting because when you asked me that question, I actually do remember when I chose my law school, when I was deciding which school I wanted to attend, Cost was a huge factor for me because my father was very gracious and paid for all my undergrad, but I remember him saying, and now you're on your own for whatever (laughs) you do next. So I knew I was paying for law school. And I remember saying to people actively thinking, you know, maybe I want to be a stay at home mom one day, which I don't, but you know, (laughs) I know now that that's never in my (laughs) future. I mean, it is right now, but not on purpose. But I didn't know what I wanted for my long-term life. And I remembered thinking, I don't want to saddle myself with this huge debt that then I have to, you know, have my path of my career beholden because of that, right? So I went to a less expensive school on purpose because I knew it was a good school and I'd get a great education for, at the time, what now seems like a steal. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say my law school was $3,000 a year. Oh, wow. It's changed a lot. It's gotten way more expensive. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at the time I was looking at a private school that was 20. So that was a big difference. And I mean, obviously we had to borrow more to pay for your living expenses. And so I had more debt than that, but all things considered, it was a great price. My point is something then happens when you're in law school, at least it did for me. Maybe this isn't your experience or other people's experience, but um, you sort of 
get into this mindset then where you you forget why you went to law school in the first place, or at least I did, and I forgot anything about what I wanted, and you get into this trap of, well, this is what it means to succeed. You have to be on this law review or this moot court board, or you have to get this job and this level firm. And it became very apparent by the end of first year, which track people were on, and then you knew where your paths were. And I just found myself on this path before I even really, I don't know if I was consciously aware that I was on this path. I just was like, oh, that's success. I have to go tick these boxes now and do these things. And it took a long time for me personally to recalibrate and think about, well, wait a minute, is this what I wanted? Do I, you know, it was actually, I talk about this in the book. We were at Walt Disney World. My daughter was three at the time. And my husband looked at me and was like, are you ever going to take a vacation when you're actually here present with us and you're not on your phone or preparing, like I billed nine hours from the Magic Kingdom basically that day because I was billing at every moment. And so I say that because, um, yeah, like we forget sometimes and we get kind of trapped down a road. And so I always like to bring people back and remind them that, hey, what you want out of life actually matters and is a, a valid question for you to be posing to yourself and to your business. Right. And I think that, you know, the vacation example is a great one because it's one that people often think about after the fact. And in the first couple of years of starting a law firm and starting the business component of it, you often have to put in a lot of work because it's brand new and you have to scale up. And so that's one that's often overlooked. What are those other elements of figuring out as far as what your personal goals are and how does that inform your business decision? What else should you be asking yourself or thinking about as you're lining up those personal goals? You know, I had an attorney tell me a couple weeks ago, He's like, you know, my kids just said to me, dad, why are you a litigator? You don't like to argue. <laughs> you don't like confrontation. Yeah. He was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I've built an entire career around confrontation when I actually hate it. And I thought that was also very telling that, that that's what we do to ourselves sometimes because we, we get into these paths. So I think part of it is, you know, what do you want your life to look like? Um, in terms of time, but also like, well, how do you want to spend your days? Do you want to be in a confrontational practice or, you know, something like estate planning or helping people that maybe isn't as confrontational might be better suited? I think you need to think about how important is it for you to make your impact in the world and professionally, right? So some people that I connect with, they might have a goal. I want to argue in front of the Supreme Court of the United States, which is awesome other people say to me, I don't have that goal at all, but I would really love to be, uh, you know, an awesome public speaker. I'd love to be on stage and have people respect me for my knowledge in that way. So, right. So you can have all kinds of different ways of how you want to show up and what, um, what success looks like for you professionally for what you want to accomplish. So I think those are questions worth exploring as part of this process. Definitely. And if you haven't asked those questions before, there's no wrong time to start asking them. So it's not too late if you're a few years into this or if your vision now looks different from what it looked like when you started law school or even when you graduated law school. So that's step one, you know, figuring out what are your personal goals and how does that inform how you're going to set up your firm to as closely reflect that as possible. What is the second step of that? I imagine it's around the clients that you want to serve. Yeah, you need to figure out like, who do you want to help? And then the corollary, how do you want to help them? And I think that's something that doesn't come up enough either in terms of figuring out setting up your practice. I think especially when you're a solo lawyer, there's a lot of pressure to 
get business coming in the door. And so any client is a good client and any fee arrangement that the client is willing to accept is, you know, good to sort of get things started. But you have to be more strategic than that. I think one of the things that we chatted about in thinking about this show is being the technician and being a good lawyer by the practice of law that you do may have been enough to help differentiate you in the past, but that's not really how it's working today. Yeah, such a great point. I think there was a time where the communities were smaller, the internet didn't exist, and so people had to go to other professionals to find you and to find information. And so lawyers really did rest on their reputation. If you were a great lawyer that was known in your community, in the professional community, and you could kind of just do your thing. And unfortunately, there's a lot of great lawyers out there. But if people don't know you, if they can't find you, if they don't know how to get you, you might find yourself without a lot of clients. You won't have no clients, but you might not have the volume or the type of practice that you ultimately want. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Part of building a successful practice is finding the right payment partner. It's important to work with a processor that understands the complex rules for legal payments. LawPay is the only payment solution that ensures trust account compliance for both credit card and e-check transactions. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program and all 50 state bars, LawPay. To learn more or to get started, visit lawpay.com lawyerist today. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit www.backofficebettys.com lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Boost your productivity and save time typing with Text Expander, whether you're in the office or working from home. You can make your own snippets or share and manage snippets for your organization with your team's version, even if your team works from home. You'll reduce errors and increase productivity. Text Expander can save you so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. And our listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com podcast to learn more about Text Expander. All right, we're back. And we previously discussed the first two steps in this three-step framework. What are your personal goals? And then who do you want to help? And how do you want to help them? And I think the second one bleeds into the third idea. You know, it's not just about what you want to do and how you want to help the clients. What are some of the considerations that lawyers need to take into account when figuring out, you know, I've come up with this service offering. I've come up with this group of clients. I think I want to help. Is that enough to just launch in your firm? Or do you need to have some more strategic decisions and questions in that process? Yes, you need to find out if there's actually a market for what you want to do. And unfortunately, again, we get our law license and we have this ability to just go open shop. And we often do that without really much thought about the market that we're going to serve. We think to ourselves, well, I'm a great lawyer and I love doing this. And so I'm just going to go do it. And oftentimes we jump into what I would say are very saturated, you know, crowded marketplaces where there's already a ton of people doing what you do. You could still compete, but it might be very expensive to make a name for yourself. 
And how do you figure out, is this market saturated? I know that's something that you help a lot of our lab members with when they first get started. This is really one of those key foundation points to figure out what is it that makes you different from other people and is this a market where you can be successful? Yeah, I mean, go do some research. (laughs) It's really simple. Put yourself in the head of an ideal client. So let's just pick an easy one that's kind of, you know, easy to pick on because we know it is a saturated market. If you want to be a personal injury lawyer and represent car accident victims, like you probably don't even need to do any research to know that that is a pretty crowded marketplace. There are a lot of attorneys out there. Now you may say, but not everybody's getting served. That's great. You can push back on me on this point, but keep going down that path, right? So you know that you've got the guys with the billboards and you've got a lot of people who are spending a lot of money to get their name out there, maybe there's a part of the market that isn't being served. And so go do those searches and figure out who's not being served. Or maybe, maybe it's a way in which they're not being served. So maybe it's not that I can represent a different person. Maybe you can represent the same people in a different way. I think that's a really good point to bring up in connection with a recent podcast episode we had with Emily Cooper, where she kind of realized, hey, I am in law school, I'm working to become an attorney, but I couldn't afford my own services. You know, I wouldn't be the ideal client for the type of thing that I'm doing. And there's a whole section of the market that is not being served because they don't have access to pay for the services in the way that it might have been accessible to them. And so that's one way that you can help differentiate yourself. Are you going to perhaps price a little bit differently? Could you deliver the services differently? And I think one of the things that we've seen with community members and inside Lawyerist Lab is no matter what direction you decide to go, even if you get through that competitive analysis, that's not the end point, right? This is not a set it and forget it type of situation. So you're going to have to market this no differently than you would any other part of your practice. Do you have recommendations for someone who is maybe branching out or starting in a different direction? They've done the competitive analysis. Now they need to figure out How am I going to create that marketing plan? What are sort of the key components of doing that? Yeah, in my opinion, I kind of boil a marketing plan down to three things. And by the way, it's a strategic marketing Mm. plan. Like too many lawyers are out there doing their random acts of marketing and they're just out there doing all the things like, oh my gosh, Laura mentioned the word Facebook. I need to be on Facebook. Right. And then and then they jump on Facebook and they put up a page and then they post a lot of pictures of themselves like tying their shoes before they go into court. And by the way, that doesn't work. Stop doing that. Yes. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> Can we just say that? Yeah. Don't do that. And I, I think too that that word strategic is so important because the other end of this is that lawyers are being targeted with so many different marketing opportunities where they are being told by others who are often experts in the field, oh, well, you need to do this, this, and this. These are the three things you need to be doing in order to be successful. And that might not necessarily be the case for your practice area or where your firm is at right now. And so you have to be the one at least having some insight into those strategic marketing decisions. I don't think that should be 100% outsourced to somebody else to tell you all the things because, you know, there's a little bit of that conflict of interest there. Are they just seeing that you don't have any particular say on this and they're saying, well, here's this massive proposal for all of these marketing services. Does that accomplish the goals in your strategic marketing plan? That has to be created first. 
Yes. And this is what I love doing. I love working with lawyers and giving them the knowledge that they need so that if they do want to outsource it and delegate it to someone else, which you may all by all means do, you want to know enough so that you know what you're buying and that what you're buying is what you need. And then you can manage the people who are doing those services for you because you're right. Too often lawyers are, are getting sold on some services or products that might not make sense. It might not be the best use of their resources. Right. And just because you can doesn't mean that you should. So it gets back to this whole idea of what are your personal goals and how is that connected to who you want to serve and how you're going to deliver it? That's why those are those foundation pieces. Those have to be in place first for you to figure out that strategic marketing plan. And I think you'll feel a lot more informed too and confident if you are deciding to outsource pieces of that marketing strategy because you'll be grounded enough to know what you need or be able to submit some of that pushback of, you know what, I'm not really ready to go down the route of making a YouTube video every single day or running a Facebook ad because that doesn't really align with where I'm at in my strategic marketing plan right now. It makes you feel so much more confident about the money you are spending and the people and softwares that you do choose to work with because they make sense for your firm and where it's at now and where you're hoping to go in the near future. Yeah. So I kind of set this up and then I got sidetracked on strategic. (laughs) But let me tell everybody, so a strategic marketing plan is really just three things if you think about it. It's who, who are you targeting? What, what messaging are you using to target those people? Is it a message that resonates? And then three, where, where or what tools are you going to use to put that message out into the world? And that can be offline, online, a combination. There's a lot of, and that's where most people jump, right? Everybody wants to jump to, this is where all your things need to go. And what I do when we work with lawyers is we like back it up and we're like, maybe, maybe that's where you need to be, but we don't even know that yet because we've got to take these first two steps first because they're going to inform everything else that we do. Yes. You can't jump the gun and go down the steps that are later in the process because not everything is going to work as you intended if you didn't do that initial work first. And so I imagine that comes up a lot with our lawyerist lab members when they're coming to us because they need coaching. They recognize they're at a point where they need help with figuring things out. And they're probably really ready to look for that solution. You know, what is that marketing strategy or what is that company I can partner with that will do all the things because I don't want to add more on my plate. And it's really about taking that step back and saying, okay, we can't even answer those questions or consider those kinds of topics and strategies until we've figured out what you really need from this and what you really want to get out of your firm as well. Yeah. Love that. Well, as you all know, we help lawyers with these kinds of strategic marketing plans and other support for their law firms within our communities. We have two programs, Accelerator and Lab. Do you want to talk a little bit, Stephanie, about who is right for those kinds of programs? Yeah, I love Accelerator. Uh, We've had a lot of people joining recently, and I'm super excited about it because it really is, the name is appropriate, right? It's designed to help you accelerate your firm. So either if you're just getting started, or maybe you've been around for a while, but it's just not working, things aren't clicking the way you want, and you're like, wow, I really need to you know, accelerate my results and have more clients coming in, then this is a great place for you to start with us because we're really going to go through that process that I just described. We're actually going to help you do a competitive marketing analysis. We're going to answer the who and the what and the how and show you all the tools that you could use and make sure you're doing it in a really strategic way. We're going to think about your offer and your pricing and just make sure all of it 
sort of makes sense and is in line for what you need. And so that's a great place if you want to check one of our communities out and you're not quite ready for lab, then Accelerator's a great place to start. And then obviously we've talked about lab before. Lab's a little bit of our larger program in that it covers all aspects of your business. And if you want more information or trying to figure out which one of these might be the right fit for you right now, we've got a great chart that kind of compares what you get in our free community versus Accelerator and in lab at lawyerist.com slash community. Well, thanks, Stephanie. This has been a really important topic to discuss. Yeah, and this was so fun to do this with you. <laughs> it's the new normal and one of the top phrases that we're hearing from all different directions right now. Yeah, I love it. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.